RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Today's episode is sponsored by Optimum Nutrition. To get a 40% discount across their entire batch-tested range, use the code RENEGADE40 at www.onacademy.co.uk forward slash elite portal. And of course, members of the Rugby Renegade online subscription program get an exclusive 50% discount plus free access to the Optimum Nutrition online nutrition course. Welcome back to episode 74 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Steve Black. It's a bit of a, I kind of say in the podcast, a bit of a fanboy moment for me. Um, you know, I followed followed the Lions tours and, and Wales when, <clears throat> when Steve was involved with them. Um, so it, it was great to kind of pick his brains. He, he was such a popular character um, and that comes across in the interview. Uh, but also just delving into his, his years of experience in, in rugby, football, uh, and talking about kind of what he's doing now. It's, it's really interesting stuff. So, of course, give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Great to have you on. Um, let's start by telling us a little bit about your background, how you got into strength and conditioning and some of the teams and athletes you've worked with. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've actually been... I first went to a gym when I think I was about seven years of age. Right. And since I'm in my mid-60s, that, that was quite unusual. Quite unusual then, you know. So. Um, my cousins, I think, uh, I mean, certainly my mum's cousin, um, I think they were probably in their 20s or something then, you know, used to take me along to the gym and I just sort of got used to it. But at the same time, I was very much into football, very much into boxing. Um, my dad had been a boxer and, um, and I, I, I became a boxer afterwards as well and I played football a lot. But I was also into athletics as well, sprinting and and eventually lifting and all that. So was uh, my, my sort of uh, sporting career, uh, playing, it's, it's a player, so to speak, went from, uh, I played football at about 11 stone. I boxed at about 14 stone. Um, I, uh, I, I lifted up to 23 stone. I was 23 okay. stone when I was power lifter. And then uh, I had I've ever understood that I could have kept eating, I would have probably taken up sumo wrestling, you know, because I used to enjoy the food. But, uh, but obviously, I must have been a bit thick, and I didn't didn't go up with that, so I come back down. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So just I loved sport, involved in sport, mattered to me enormously. I was obsessed then, very early about it. How to do things well, how how for players to get better, teams to get better, coaches to get better, managers to get better how to get better results and all that type of thing. Um, so I, I started that very early in my life and I'm, you know, I'm exactly the same today. I'm still sort of as obsessed today as I am with any of that now. Also. No, that's, that's cool. And we'll have to talk about some of the specific teams you work with because I know you work with football and, and obviously rugby while we chat yeah, to yeah, you about that. And, and it's a bit of a fanboy moment for me because I remember, you know, when I was kind of growing up watching watching DVDs of you working with Johnny Wilkinson and, and your time with the Lions and, and Wales and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Big, big inspiration to me to move well, on to the career. Kind of, so, um, yeah, talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, I, I, I suppose I've I'd, I'd been involved training rugby players for lots of years. 
at Newcastle Gosforth and, and, and other the smaller clubs and that, you know, people that I knew in the area of the northeast, for example. Um, but and, and I was involved in football for a long time after being involved in sort of the playing side when I was a player, and then from a coaching side at Newcastle, and probably was involved in probably the greatest team that Newcastle ever had um, in the early 90s with Kevin Keegan there and uh, we were probably the best team in the country really for quite a few years um, and that was fantastic but Sir John who had bought it, Sir John Hall, also wanted a sporting amalgam academy so to speak so he bought the rugby club as well which was Newcastle Gosford and turned it into Newcastle Falcon and he bought the basketball team as well. So I, I was charged with um, coaching the footballers, but also coaching the rugby team. And he wanted to try to professionalise the rugby. We were the first professional team in the world, first professional rugby team in the world. So he wanted to try to professionalise the preparation and everything else for Newcastle Falcons to see if, if we did it right, how far we could go. And we were in like the championship now, the second tier. Yeah. And, uh, and and that was that was sensational because at the time when it turned professional, a lot of guys who had um, been at work and been accountants and solicitors and bricklayers and whatever you know what I mean any profession they would train at nights and and the job was taken away and they were given good wages and they decided because they thought that you know won the lottery that they could just train all day. And I thought, oh, what an opportunity this is, because they'll do too much. <laughs> you know, they'll just be too much, they'll do too much. And I'll actually get to the games and they'll be not fitter, they'll be tireder. And I'll be like, they'll be a lot more tired than they are. So what basically I did, I just start tapering everything. So we start, we were the first team to taper in the games. So, you know, we train pretty well to start the week after recovering from the game at the weekend get everything right for the game. And then the last sort of couple of days was all mental, really. It was all, you know, everybody knowing their roles and it would get loads of visualisation together and all that. In the first season that we had in professional, we, we got promoted. In the second season, we won the league and we won the cup. And, we won, and, and it was, it was what, what obviously it always helped when we had good players. And we did have good players, but we had great team spirit, great team cohesion. We didn't get, we didn't get injured. Didn't like injuries. I don't like injuries, so we, we didn't get injured. We decided not to get injured. <laughs> so that, I thought that was a good decision, to be fair. Definitely. So, um, yeah, and from there I went on a, a coach to Welsh national team. Um, great time down there, fantastic with Graham Henry and I. And uh, we're, we're, at the time, we brought the record for number of victories. And, uh, and then I went with them to the Lions tour. Um, and I, I thought the first test of the Lions was probably um, one of the great line performances, really. It was a tremendous win. Great yeah. side as well. Fantastic team. And that was good. Um, spent a bit of time with Johnny, five years at Toulon as well. Um, I love I it. go for like yeah, seven, you know, seven to ten days a month with him all the oh, way cool. through. And that, that was great. Um, and I, I, I suppose I've been his coach mentor for about 24 years now, I think. Crikey. Uh, and uh, I'm just beginning to think, I think he's got a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Might come through. 
<laughs> you might call it, it's got potential. Um, but really, um, I've, just, I've just been on, you know, the one of the lads I work with, just been on the phone there, Danny Cipriani, and he's, he's a delight to work with as well, and uh, a great, talented, talented player who can uh, win games, oh, win definitely. games for people, you know. Yeah. Good presence and all that type of thing. So, in the football world, Newcastle United, Sunderland, Norwich, Fulham, Huddersfield, um, Birmingham, Blackpool, um, Glasgow Rangers, and loads of consultancies all over. Yeah, you know that type of thing. Oh, I know, I know so we're onto a winner podcast when you when you start to forget some of the teams you work with. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, but good, good fun as well, though. Really yeah. good fun. Really enjoyed it. I worked in boxing to change Glenn McCrory to his world, his world Cruiserweight Championship, and uh, various other people, and worked in working at athletics, just supporting care and, and attention to people like Jonathan Edwards and, oh, um, and our swimmers and golfers and all, all manner of things we've had through the years, you know. That's awesome. And uh, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier on about the, the mental side of things as well. And that's something I've always, you, you know, watching the way you work, yeah. uh, you know, really big into the psychology and things like that. How, how do you balance the, the training and, and the kind of the personal side of coaching? Well, it's, it, 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 I've answered this question thousands of times because I think it's a really good question and I like it very much. And when I, when I used to be asked in, in um, say, the mid-90s of performance, what's it sort of based on? Team performance, the top level, either rugby or football or whatever. And I used to say, and I was wrong, 75% mental and about 25% physical. And I was wrong. I was wrong there, definitely. Um, I was probably going along the right, the right lines, but I was wrong. I think it's about, for the top teams, about 90, 92% mental. In, in about eight to ten percent physical, I think it is. I think that's right. Um, so it's massive. Uh, most players have skills. There's lots of great athletes with good skills on team or on great team players. I'm not talking about their character. Just don't enter the team sport and make a difference from a positive standpoint, or don't fulfil their potential from a playing standpoint. And that's generally got nothing to do with the physical side of it. Very rarely, anyway, to do with the physical side of it. Um, as long as they've got somebody from, on the physical side who kind of knows what they're doing and, and able to train them in a bespoke fashion so that they're, they're fit most of the time. Now, the stuff that you can't do anything about, obviously, are car crashes. You can't do anything about that. But you can do something about soft tissue injuries. So you shouldn't really get soft tissue injuries, really. Um, and that... I'll maybe share a couple of things on that later for you if you want. But um, uh, uh, the actual mental side of it, how you feel, how you believe you're going to do, how if you believe in the cause, the cause is playing well and is a rugby player wherever you are, coach well or manage well or whatever in whatever sport you're in. That's first of all. Secondly, you've got to develop your skills. You've got to know your skills that are needed and develop them. You've got to look at the skills you have now, skills that are needed, and you've got to fill that gap as soon as you can. You've got to relentlessly pursue understanding of the game. Relentlessly pursue game intelligence. So you've got to know how to win. You've got to know how to avoid feet. And you've got to know how to make good decisions throughout the whole of the game. You know, 
good players make good decisions, make them often, don't make um, too many of the same mistakes, not the same mistakes. Nothing wrong with making mistakes because we're not perfect, but we don't want to keep making the same ones all the time. We've got to try to learn from that. And then it's, uh, it's incredible really how much people can achieve when they do that. Um, but they, they, need, they need a strong inner circle around them as well. That's important in any aspect of your life. You need a strong inner circle. People who love you and believe in you and want to help you to achieve what, what you want to achieve and do everything that's possible to allow that to happen. So that's why I think uh, as coaches, we should be, it should be vocational for us really. It shouldn't be just about the material rewards or anything. It should, you, you get an incredible kick out of helping somebody get better. And if getting better means just making the first team, fantastic, just get it in your league or whatever, but definitely that idea of improvement, I think, has got to run through your veins really. And you've got to understand why you're improving and you've got to understand the benefits, um, the recognition and reward that you get from that. So I, that, I think in all, all the great teams that you'll see, I think they'll be stronger mentally, that they'll have a bigger difference in strength mentally than they do have physically. Yeah, great, great answer. And I think you're right. It's all about improvement, like making progress. That's that's the, the goal. And over time, that yeah, builds definitely. up to something really good. And and yeah, the other thing you mentioned is skill. Like a lot of time, we talk about the you know the physical improving physically, but yeah. you know that underpins of the skill we apply on the pitch. So that's you know a massive emphasis. But, well, the interesting thing about that is, and this happened this happened a lot for years, and it was crazy, absolutely crazy. What happens was people start doing loads of fitness tests. And then even at national level, people did fitness tests. And if the fitness test result wasn't good, they weren't, they weren't in, the, in the squad or whatever. And they, weren't, they didn't get picked on those fitness tests not being as good as they should have been. Absolute nonsense. Crazy. You know, some of the greatest players that ever lived haven't been the fittest or the strongest or the fastest. They've just been the best players. <laughs> so I never trained anybody to be as fast as it could be and as strong as it could be. I did, but if I trained them to be as fast as it could be, that was in athletics, because yeah. that's what I had to do. After my powerlifters or weightlifters or whatever, I did that, but not in game sports with skills. I trained the skills to be delivered in a correct and proper manner at the right intensity with a little bit in hand all the time for whatever came the way in the game and this type of thing. So, you know, you, you're prepared probably with roles and strategies and tactics and plays. And of course you did. You did all that stuff. You were obsessive about that, but always a bit in hand. And you needed to have game intelligence to be able to do that. But game intelligence backed up by physical prowess that would allow you to do that. Um, and and, and I, I, I don't think we've rid ourselves completely of that. But I kind of think as we get more and more professional, we'll realise that you've got to look at the person, the actual person. They haven't got to be such and such who plays that position in a five foot nine in that weight. They need to have that percentage body fat and all that type of thing. That's all right for a school project, but it's not actually all right for getting results. For getting results, you've got to get the best. Now, during the course of getting them is helping them to become as good as they can be and fulfilling their potential, they might become incredibly fit 
at those tests, but it can't be done for that reason. Can you see the distinction there? Yeah. So you're not doing it for the reason to say, you know, what, what do you like as a rugby player? Well, um, my standing jumps such and such. Um, if you to well, no, I asked that. I've asked any of that. We'll probably find that out eventually. But I want to know, you know, are you a good player? Yeah. The, the job that you've got, do you do well? Is your whole career a homage to effectiveness? That's a nice term, isn't it? Yeah, very homage nice. Homage to effectiveness, because that's what we should be doing. Everything we do should be a homage to effectiveness. So when, when, when you have that, you should be thinking, all your stuff that you're doing here as well. I bet you everyone you do is a little bit better than the first one you ever did. Hope so. But well, well, it will be, won't it? Yeah. It will be. It's well, it should be. If you're doing <laughs> it and you're getting better at it, and more comfortable, and you get more knowledge about it, and you can react to lunatics like me coming on talking like this, it, it should it should get better. But that's it's it's just a fact of life. So you've got to practice. You've got to practice in lots of different environments. You've got to practice as you hope to play, but at the same time being schemas of response for different skills that are wide. And, and then all of a sudden, you, when you get into those situations, you naturally adjust and naturally adjust. So we shouldn't, if we're practicing kicking, for example, you don't always practice from the same place. You practice from different places and different angles and all that type of thing. And you, you learn to adjust. And the brain learns to adjust to that. If you just practice from one spot, you would get better from that one spot. There would be a little bit of transfer, but not enormous among this transfer. So keep interrupting this because I... I, no, I no. <laughs> That's great. No, all, all yeah. good points. And I mean, one of my old bosses, who I know you've worked with Mike Ray, used to say the only test that really counts is on a Saturday. You know, that's when you really see... That's the best know, stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and we should probably maybe look at a game film more than we look at, yeah. you know, these one-off tests and things like that. Yeah, um, I mean, well, definitely, but the, the, the stats you're even seeing it because it, it's so prevalent on the television all the time in soccer. And, you know, they have this team 4 1. Well, because of Barcelona, people thought the amount of passes you had and the amount of possession you had, you would win the game. Not necessarily true. Yeah. Now, loads of games. Now, you watch it. Um, team on the ball, 37,000 passes. 73% of the possession got beat 4-1. What's that about? Now, it, it'll show you. you watch next time. The pundits that are on TV, they have also changed. They now say, because all they do is look at the result and they say, well, they were magnificent today. Yeah. <laughs> right? Back that up. <laughs> well, they score, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. But for years, you haven't said that. <laughs> but yes, he said, well, they had 47 shots and they had one. <laughs> yeah. And they had this and they had that. So, you know, the stats tell you. This. Well, the stats don't always tell you. Yeah. Now, we're a little bit more lucky in rugby because the best team in rugby generally wins. Generally wins. It doesn't always happen in football. Now. But and even at the top level, it doesn't necessarily always happen. Now. But in rugby, it tends to. Yeah. It tends to. Maybe it's a little bit less now than it used to but you, you could you know the results years ago when we first started in the professional game um you know you, you're trying to prepare better than everybody else if you could 
and that, of course, they're thinking the same. So, because um, the people in the other dressing room, they, apparently they fancy winning as well. <laughs> <laughs> Once in a while, terrible that. But um, but really, when when you look at it, if you had a team full of good players and they were a good team who had gelled and were on a bit of a run, they were probably going to win the game against the Leicester team. You know, it was very rare that was upset. Sir. Very yeah. rare. Yeah. Now you you mentioned um, soft tissue injuries. Um, so yeah. what, what's your your approach to preventing reducing soft injury, uh, soft tissue um, injuries? I think there's too much stretching before games. It always has been. And when I said it 30, 40 years ago, I think people thought I was a raving lunatic. And, and they said because you stretch. What do you stretch for to prevent injury? Just not true. Just not true at all. And you also, from a stretching standpoint, if you stretch too much, you tend to get a little bit languid. And if you have a look now, even at the start of, um, if we go to athletics and look at the start of sprints, very rarely are there traditional static stretching tool. Very rarely. So the warm-up, in the warm-up lots before you see, like, like boxers back in, back in the changing room and all that type of thing. Well, athletics is the same, the warm-up a lot like that. Um, so when you, when you do that, are you still on there? Yeah, yeah, still going. It just it something's come up on the screen. I don't know what it is. Oh, I mean, um, yeah. So beforehand, you should gradually go from standing still to game intensity. That's what should happen over a period of time. It should go there. So over that period of time, it's through full range of motion, it should gradually build up. So that by the time the whistle goes, they're ready to play. And they're ready to be foot and they've done all the movements, multi-directional, multi-pace movements in every respect. And if the, we've brought strength and contact in and it's gradually built. So, right, they've trained like that during the week, they've prepared like that and they're ready to go. I don't know what this is, but no worries. No worries. Um, now, this question we ask uh, all the guests on the podcast, and it's what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make uh, when it comes to strength and conditioning? Oh, um, oh, getting strong for strong sake, yep. um, becoming fit for fitness sake. I think they're big mistakes, they're bigger mistakes in than people would think. Not having bespoke programs, and, oh, and people would maybe listen to this and say, well, well, we've got bespoke programs, and I would say, have you? <laughs> and then wait for the answer. Because what they do is a variation, just slight variations on themes. And what I think, you've got a toolbox, and you've got to bring out the tools that work for that person. So there's physiological principle, of course there is. We've got to follow that. Strangely enough, if you lift heavy weights and you have rests between and heavy weights and rests between, you're going to get stronger because energy systems, etc. You know, so that's going to work. But actually, how how the energy and the strength and the speed and agility and muscle endurance and everything else is actually delivered in a performance is very bespoke to the environment you're in and the sport or activity you're doing. So I think everything should be more bespoke to the, for the person. I really do. And I think we still get away with it slightly 
because worldwide it's still the same yeah no great great point can't can't disagree with you there and um <clears throat> i think it goes back to what you're saying as well the, the bespoke in terms of the, the individual and the environment and the sport you know it's, it's taking everything into account um and, and if and somebody's different well. you know you know somebody's different sometimes people put an x against them for being different and kind of that's not right is it so we can't you know there's utilitarian in the middle type thing there's poor at the bottom and excellent at the very top and yeah. in between there's utilitarian where some utilitarian um trained players uh, both both from a skill standpoint in a in a physiological standpoint are, are good players they're good players but maybe if they went bespoke, they could be just that little bit better. So it's fulfilling the potential that they have. Yep. And sometimes you knock things out of people. So, for example, in football, um, if we were traditional players not coming from abroad, etc., or different quality of players coming from abroad, which, which actually changed the football scene a lot, for example, um, and they went on what, what they did. Everybody was trained in the same way. So everybody did the same trick. Yeah. And controlled the ball in the same way and did whatever, whatever. It was all the same way. Everything was the same way. And before that, people learned to play football just on the grass verge and that type of thing. And people emerged from jumpers for goalposts who were geniuses, like Gaza. You know, people like that for, I've never seen that trick before. Well, of course not, because he learned it himself on the street. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't just do, copy whatever everybody else was doing. And then all of a sudden, some of the people who came from environments where it was bred into them to do the same tricks as everyone else, eventually just shelved them, got rid of them. Like Ronaldo. Ronaldo, when he was at Man United, used to do 37 step overs. This, that, and the other. Did he score as many goals? No, anyhow. Was he as effective? No, anyhow. Was he a showboat? Yes. Was he quite effective? Yes. Because <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was a good, he was a good, now he's a great player. Yeah. Now he's an incredible player because he knows what his job is and he trains bespokely for it. Yeah. Now then, he wasn't doing that. He wasn't doing that. So if you look at his play then and his play now, you would say he, he was putting on a little bit of a showboat when he was there, he still scored goals, still was a good player, right, fair comment. But there, he's, you know, as valuable a player as there is in the world because he's actually honed in and he's more and more and more specific on what he needs to do to be a good, effective player. Yeah, yeah great stuff. Um, and I, I mentioned uh, Mikey Ray earlier, and I know you worked with him uh, at Wales, and he was Very kind of... Lad. Yeah, he he was kind of in the twilight years of his career then, because um, yeah. he, he was kind of called back um, into the Wales squad as a, as a senior player, and and he's always kind of raved about uh, working with you and how you kind of treated him as an older player. Um, yeah. Maybe talk about how how you go about dealing with you know an experienced player like that. Yeah. Well, first first of all, a fellow called George Hallis, who uh, used to be Chicago Bears, Papa Bear, famous guy. He said one of the best things I've ever heard in coaching. Find out what the player wants to do and then prescribe it to them. Right. <laughs> what a great thing to start getting on a good, good playing field, isn't it? With yeah. them. Get a good relationship. Start with a good relationship. 
and then start to maybe shape them in different ways that will help them in conjunction with them, but help them get better and help them get better, help them get better. If you start by doing things that they like doing anyway, then they'll want to work with you. They'll want to support you. If you reward them for doing what they like doing, and make sure that the reward's not fanciful, the reward is for something that they're doing right. So, you know, the old way, the old cliched way, catch people doing the right things. But also respect it if, if you're saying senior players who have been around for a long time, experience, actually respect that. Because it's a tough game, rugby. And if they've been around for a long time and played at the top for a long time, they've learned lots and lots of lessons. And you want to tap into that. You want to tap into that knowledge and understand it. And you know, I've, had, I've, I've actually had some of the best players in the world from all different teams around the world. I've had some, but they all tell you something different. It's a little bit like if you get a, a group of players in a room, famously in America, you've got a group of quarterbacks in a the room, they all want to do it slightly differently. They don't agree on everything. We're the same here, aren't we? In all different aspects. Not everybody plays a number 10 role the same. So, you know, and you listen, COVID-19, if I went off track there, but when the government says, I'm listening to the science, you go, wow, wow. The worst thing you can get is a group of medics together, especially with all that, all that ego going on. <laughs> and everyone's got different opinions. Yeah. <laughs> so which one are you listening to? Do you just decide, well, I'll listen to that one today. I'll listen to that one tomorrow. So people think, the public think, they're going with the, they're going with the science. It must be just one thing, and that going with that, and that must be the right one. Absolute rubbish, you kid. Not yeah. true, you know. So there's lots of ways to skin a cat, isn't there? Yeah. What you need is a validity. If somebody's got an opinion on something, you need a validity on that. You need to say, go through and say, well, I tried that there, and it worked. I tried that there, and it worked. It didn't work there because the makeup was different, so I had to change it. Yeah. Now, as, as, as a coach, people shouldn't know what, what you like really, because you, you you, you've got to change, you've got to be chameleon-esque, really, because with that group of players, you might have to play a certain way, and that group a different way, and that group a different way, you know? So if you're continually doing that, adapting and adjusting to get the best out of any given group, and as long as you keep all your tools in order and keep adding to them all the time, and I'm still adding to them, as I say, in my 60s, I'm still adding to them, your toolbox is, it's got lovely shiny stuff in there as well, you know? So you've, you've got to keep that. So tools from years ago, do they work? Some of them do, fantastic. And some of the new ones are the better than some of the older ones. Some of them are. Some of them, some of them, some of them. But some of them aren't. It's picking the right one at the right time, you know? So, and, 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 I, and I think as long as you respect the older player, you know, as long as you respect, as long as you make it, clear from the outset, without maybe even having to use these words, that you expect certain standards and certain commitment. Because if you're training a certain way and you're a good player with lots of skill and you're one of the people that pulls the strings um, and you're not on it, maybe it's the whole quality of the session drops and that's not good enough. So as soon as, soon as it's not good enough, you've got to call it out straight away. So you can be the most amiable, lovable person in the world, and that will stay that way as long as everybody's what you call trying. If they're trying, great. If they're giving it the best shot, great. And if they want to do that, but they're not getting the right guidance, well, that's your fault, not theirs. 
So I would I would say that the, the experience. Thing. Yeah. No, you you reminded me of I, I saw a, a sports scientist who who worked with Team GB, um, and he, one of his first roles was working with um, Steve Redgrave and his his rowing team, and obviously. Yeah, yeah. Steve won, I don't know, four or five gold medals then. And, and this yeah, young, yeah. young kid just out of uni turned up. And, um, and Steve Rego was like, well, what are you going to teach me? And, and, and his response was, well, I'm going to actually learn from you. And, and he just said, well, what have you done? What, what has worked? And yeah. just tried to, you know, ha- you know, help him think about what he'd done in the past and, work, and, and that's the way to do it. And that's, that's yeah, what yeah, yeah. If, with, with that type of mentality and mindset, I'm sure you, you, whoever you're taught, about was a good coach and went on to do good things, you know. Yeah, so because you, you do need to do that. I did I did uh, a thing for John McEnroe Centre, um, New York City, a, a few weeks ago, and th- they were saying, "Blackie, if you had Michael Jordan, how would you have changed him? Would you have changed because he was so intense in this that you You know, what could you? And I let the question go and go, and because you know. That, that proved some of his teammates were felt under stress from this and the other. And I said, well, what a crazy question, really, because he's probably the greatest basketball player that's ever lived. Um, he's won things in teams that hadn't won things before. Part of Dynasty's influence so much. Oh, I would love to change him, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to change him. You know, I don't want to change him. I just want him to be, be the same. If there's yeah. anything we can add to it to make it better, yes, of course. Well, let me tell you, it's not going to be very much. And if you look at his unique selling point, which was his intensity in build-up, we kind of really mess with that because it had if it, if it upset somebody else, well, like but it was professional sport at the top level at work. So they then said to us, "What about John? John used to, you know, losing his stuff. I'm sure you would have had something to calm him down." I said, "I wouldn't want to calm him down, <laughs> you know, because when he got upset, he got upset for." And I'm, I'm sure authentically a lot of the time, but other times it was probably tactic <laughs> to put the opposition off and yeah. the, you know the, the umpire and all that type of thing. So if you wouldn't teach somebody to be like that, you wouldn't go out your way to teach somebody to argue with this and argue with that and put so much pressure on his teammates that they, they felt anxiety. You wouldn't do that, but you would try to get the best you could out of the environment dealing with their idiosyncrasies, should we say. And that would still work. So you can't make everybody the same. It can't be bland. That's why everything. So it's not just the exercises you do and how you do them and angles you do them. It's how you treat them as well. And how you respond to how they perform and respond and how they are in the dressing room and how they are out on the on the court or the training field or the, or the pitch or whatever. And you've got to go that and then you're constantly shaping people to be as good as they can be. Lots of the time without them ever knowing that that's the case. And that's when you kind of know you, it's working well when they don't realise how they've got better. It's yeah. just like happened, you know? It's a fast forward evolution. Eh? Yeah. No, it, it, it's funny talking to you. Well, as you're talking, I'm I'm thinking of rugby players who, similar to McEnroe, they've they've got that real edge, and it's one of those yeah. things you 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 wouldn't want to stop that. You just kind of want to harness it and and find how, how they can control it. Yeah, fantastic, and that's a great word. That's exactly what it is. You don't want to put the fire out, 
you just want to put something around it so it doesn't set the house alight. Yeah. You know, you want, you want, you want to look at the benefits of the fire. It needs to be there. And, to, and I'm sure in lots of cases it gives lovely benefit. But that lovely benefit, a little bit heat, maybe sort of go, <laughs> go out the window if it burns the whole house down. Yeah. That, that wouldn't be too good. So you're right, you've got to harness it. You do have to harness it. But you can't put it out. Some people from a psychiatry background have come into sports, team sports, and sometimes, brilliant though they are in that chosen area, they're not very good with passionate team sports because they're so good at what they do, they end up putting the flame out. Now, if they put the flame out on certain players and they put the flame out extrapolate that to the dressing room, then all of a sudden, everyone's getting on lovely together. And this is that, and there's no arguments, no nothing. It's lovely and calm. Always lovely and calm. But we're not playing in the game that's lovely and calm all the time. We're playing in the game in rugby where it's, it's very emotional. Now, you've got to be in control of that. Of course you have. But trying the best your ability to be in control, self-control, discipline. Of course, that's where you need to be. But sometimes, out of indiscipline can come great success. Not if you leave it there, but you need to know that there's, there's fire in the belly. So when I, when I went to Wales, we, we played Ireland at Wembley because the um, millennium still wasn't finished yet. It was not, yeah, wasn't finished. And um, we played Scotland in the first game of the, this Five Nations. And... Um, the, the dressing room was very, very quiet. Very quiet. A dressing room like I hadn't inhabited it before, to be fair. It was different terrain altogether. And it was a little bit different terrain for a lot of the players, you know. But it had been brilliantly successful elsewhere in the world. And uh, it was very well meant and all that type of stuff. So this isn't criticism of it. This is, a, this is just a, an observational fact. And the game started... And John Leslie scored for Scotland after about 37 seconds because they were like ready to play. And he had people like Gary Armstrong in the dressing room who was like the living embodiment of Braveheart. So they were, they were ready to start that where we went out like intellectuals. And maybe Murrayfield wasn't the place for that to be. Full Murrayfield going and, you know, Wallace and the other dressing room there and all that type of thing. So it didn't So I said, I've got to find out if this is the natural feeling of this group of people or not. So for the game against Ireland, I whipped them up into a ridiculous frenzy. A ridiculous frenzy. Had it been just, had I was, if I hadn't been going to behave like that all the time, it would have been a disgrace. <laughs> it was just wrong. But I whipped them up like some ridiculous Hollywood movie. So they go out indisciplined and everything, but they won all the fights. The one this, the one that, the one the other. And it's what coming off at half time, Graham Henry said to me, Blackie, I'm disappointed with this, with the indiscipline. I says, You're probably going to be even more disappointed in the second half because I'm going to whip them up even more at half time here. So it was like 23 6 at half time to, to uh, Ireland because we give penalty after penalty after penalty away. And instead of saying, Now we've got to stop this and this, I went, Come on. Let's get it them again, by the way. Team, Band of Brothers, all that stuff. All the Hollywood stuff. And we did it. At the end of the game, it was something like 29, 23. Still to Ireland, but we'd come back, God better and better. 
We got back to the dressing room and the first thing I said before we said anything about playing everything was, now we've got a team. Now we've got a team. So a huge thanks for that. From now, we don't get beat. We do not get beat from now because there's no reason on God's earth that we should. We shouldn't because we're good players and we've got a bit between the teeth and we'll fight for each other. Now we'll do all the rest on the training field, don't worry about that. We'll make sure everyone knows their roles and it'll be superbly coached and everything else. What we're going to do from now is just beat the opposition. That's all we're going to do. Now the discipline's going to get better and better and better and better. And that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. So the, 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 the fire and the belly stuff and the discipline, you know, it's, it, it, it still needs to be there. It just needs to be harnessed. Yeah. But it needs to be there though, doesn't it? Yeah. You can't really play if you're passive. It's not a game to play if you're passive. There's some games you can play if you're passive. But I, I don't think rugby's one of those games really. I think I think you've you've got to get involved. Oh, emotionally. Yeah. Haven't you? Yeah. Engaged. You've got to care about your teammates. You've you've got, you've got to care about all the fans. You've got to care about the performance is given because you're representing lots and lots of people. So you've got to care about that enormously. And then you've, you've got to go out there and do it. Now that involves playing against other people who kind of also care. Because such a tough game, you wouldn't play it if you didn't care. So the emotions have got to be there. As you rightly said, they've just got to be harnessed. Harnessed in a way that you, you fan the flame, but it's just... I love, it. I love it. It's we, we've covered so much already, and I know we're, we're getting a bit short on time. But uh, another question we ask all all the guests, um, and, and we've kind of covered tons already. But what advice would you give to a, to a young upcoming strength coach? Strength coach. Oh, strength and conditioning coach. Right, right. Well, the, the, I would say with a condition coach, you've got to get to know your stuff. Um, so that, I mean, there's some there's some good sports degrees around now. But when I first started, I was. Um, John Wars had the, had the first sports, sports science, sports studies course. And then the next, I think we were the next ones up in Newcastle, up there, and then they spread around, you know, spread around the country. And some very, very good ones now. Um, they really are good. And I would say from a technical standpoint, they're, they're probably very, very good. They could probably improve slightly from a tactical and understanding the game standpoint to learn what you're going to do. Because what you do want to do is to make them like the driving test. So you actually learn to drive after you've passed your test, etc. Yeah. You need to have people in a university and in college who are actually telling people all the time, hey, it, ha- it already happens in lots of cases, but it should be widespread. Yeah. The people in there who've played the game, who've been in dressing rooms, who've been in training areas, who've seen people get injured because they did this, who've seen people get intoxicated by building muscles, and all of a sudden, they were not good players anymore because the, the, the biomechanics have gone all to hell. And that type of thing. They want to get strong for rugby. In some positions, we need to bulk up. Of course we do. But we need to bulk up where we're still, still intact. And that type of thing. So get to know those things. Get to know those things. It's not just the bench press is for your chest, your frontal deltoids, and your triceps. Our champion, is that it? Well, how long does that course last? Yeah. 
And if you lift it heavy with long rests, you get stronger. If you do lots of repetitions, you'll tone up. Right, fair comment. There's loads more to that than I'm being a bit facetious. Of course there is, all that type of stuff, but that's not the difference. Depends how, how far you want to go. You've got to have a unique selling point. All coaches have to have a unique selling point. What do you do? He does that, 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 and that. He hasn't doing it. Do that, or I do all that. Do it right. Well, why should I employ you instead of him? Why should that be the case? You've got to have a unique selling point. Is a player you have, is a coach you have, is a manager you have, is a teacher at college, is a course leader you have. You've got to have unique selling points. And it's got to mean something to you. So everything you do, it's got to mean as much to you as it does to Johnny Wilkinson when he started. It's got to mean, that's what it's got to mean to you. I'm going to do this, this, and this, and the consequences of it will probably, can't be 100% sure, but will probably lead to that. Now, if you look at all the relationships in your life, how many times do you do that in any aspect of your life? Do you actually look and say, what am I bringing to this relationship? <laughs> Why did that person choose me in whatever, whatever it is? Person relationships, work relationships, friends, everything. Why did they choose me? They must have seen something in me that they thought would benefit their lives. And so that sounds cold, but it's not really. It's not really. If you say, well, somebody has got to, actually, now that I'm living with them, they've got these habits that I don't like very much, and they're getting on my nerves. And actually, had I known that they had those habits, we wouldn't be together now. Well, that's a bit, a bit severe. And you adapt and adjust, don't you? Like, you just yeah. adapt and adjust as you get to know each other. But I would say getting to know people is massive for conditioning coaches. Because conditioning coaches are there with people all the time. When you work with a player, the player's got to want to see you, got to want to listen to you, got to know that you have their best interests at heart in almost anything. That you're not doing it just for reflected glory, you're doing it for them. You really are just doing it for them. And you've got to be unbelievably happy that they get on the plaudits and everything else. So that's one of the first things. Your reputation's got to build with what you've done, not what you say. Saying's easy. But actually doing it and saying, well, you know, did that there and that happen, that happened, that happened, this happened, this happened. Either individual sports like golf, oh, well, he won that tournament. Or, yes, well, they broke the record for this. Or won the world title. Or won world European title. All that type of thing. Now, if you can keep adding to all that, you haven't got to say it very much, really. Because he keeps showing photographing. Oh, you're somewhere on the photograph. Now, but the most important thing is everything you do or whoever you work with, give it your best shot. And try to ensure that the person is better when they leave you than they were when you first start working with them. In a, in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, no, no, love it. Great advice. Um, and uh, again, we we run out of time. But what what's the future got in store for you, Steve? Well, I do lots of things. Um, doing lots of different things. Still, still in sport with individuals worldwide and with teams, um, which I enjoy very much. On the uh, on the business side of things, we, you know, it's going well. I've got three kids, um, twin boys and a girl. Um, 
and they're both CEOs of companies that we own. Um, oh. And uh, that, so that's going good. I've got a I've got a huge project at the minute with Cleveland Police, um, oh. try, trying to just help their performance get better. And they're good people, so I'm enjoying that. Um, so lots and lots to keep us busy. Awesome. That sounds great. And and lastly, where can people learn more about you, Steve? Um, I don't know really. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, um, I suppose Steve at steveblack.co.uk. That's a good place to start. That's my email. If anyone gets wants to get in contact or whatever, just um, ask, ask, ask them to get in contact. And if they do get in contact, Steve at steveblack.co.uk. I'll give them information for people who look after the marketing for me and all that type of thing. And, oh, cool. uh, and if I can help anybody, anybody who's listening on it, on it, if you get in touch and I can help in any way, give them a little bit of advice or whatever, or point you in the right direction, uh, I'm not willing, I'm eager to do that. So it's no problem. That's great. No, it's great. I greatly appreciate that and, and appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It's been great. We, we could have gone on for another couple of hours, I'm sure. Um, oh, and you've, you've given us ton, you know, some real good nuggets of, of advice and information. Well, I, I must say, I've thoroughly enjoyed it as well. So thank you very much for that. Oh, that's great. Cheers, Steve. All the best. Top man. Bye-bye. So thank you, Steve. That was uh, great to chat to you and, and draw on all your years of experience. Um, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us and all the best for the future. In the meantime, guys, please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, uh, whatever else you use for podcasts. And of course, give us a five-star review. And keep checking us out on social media and of course the website, rugbyrenegade.com. Uh, just you know, recently had a rebuild of the site, so it's looking good, and we're adding tons to it. Most recently, our sort of affiliation with um, the Strong Workout Tracker. Um, new members will get six months free to the pro features of that app, and you know we use it ourselves. It's great for tracking your workouts. So of course, check it out. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade Podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.